You're listening to Forward the Hamlet. Welcome to the programme. This week we talk to Dunwich Hamlet midfielder Kashani Samuels and there are views from Hugo Greenhouse, Joe Kennedy and Jason Cobb. We've also got regular feature, What's Harry Ottaway Eating? I'm Jack McInroy. Dulwich Hamlet are a fourth, having won three out of the last four games. Here's Hugo Greenhouse on victories against Berrytown and Canvey Island. After a rather erratic performance against Wingate and Finchley, Dulwich came flying out of the blocks to defeat Berrytown 3-0 with three first-half goals. Sean Mikulski kept up his good form and got a brace with a great chip over the keeper in the first ten minutes. Xavier Fidel also scored a brilliant solo effort with a long-range strike into the top right-hand corner, a goal very reminiscent of Thierry Henry's against Manchester City in 2004. Berry posed very little threat against Dulwich, and it was really quite a one-sided game. After the victory against Berry, Dulwich travelled to Essex to play Canvey Island. I made my customary stop-off in Upminster for a battered sausage, but on this occasion the game was much more enjoyable. It could be described as a tale of two Browns, that being O'Shane Brown in the Dulwich net and Tim Brown in the Canvey Island net. That name might sound familiar to Dulwich fans. He was on loan from West Ham last season and is now on work experience at Canvey this season. And it was his two errors that gave Dulwich a rather fortunate 2-1 win. For those who haven't been to Canvey, it's a very exposed ground near the Thames Estuary and the conditions were very blustery, windy and wet, and any result would have been good, really. Dulwich took an early lead when Xavier Fidel's shot trickled under Tim Brown's arm. Then, in the second half, Canvey equalised, with a rather overexcited Canvey player taking his shirt off, only to get booked, celebrating the equaliser. Ashley Carew hit one of his trademark free kicks, and it trickled in on the wet surface underneath Tim Brown's arm once again. Dulwich, the 2-1 victors. One of the brightest talents to emerge from the Aspire Academy in the last few years is Kashani Samuels. We spoke to him after he'd been given a Man of the Match plate courtesy of Supreme Engraving and didn't mention the fact that Jack Payne had called him Kirsty Samuels. Uh, Kashani, how do you think your season's gone so far? Um, it's been going okay. Hasn't been the best of starts. Planned on a better start. It's been going alright. We haven't quite found our feet yet, but training been, training's been getting better. And in training, we can see the progression. So on the pitch, we will start to pick up and play much better than we are now. Although we're not playing the best, we're still getting results. So that within itself is good. And what would you say about your position? Where do you think you're playing at the moment, position-wise? Well, um, to be fair, we've changed it around quite a few times. I think I started, we started off with a three in the middle, one sitting two in front. I was one of the two in front. I think I liked it there. Then after we changed it to me sitting, it was all right there as well. And now with it's me and Ashley sitting and Javier ahead of us. And I don't mind, like, as long as I'm playing in the middle, yeah, I'm, yeah. Happily, I'm happy. And playing with Jav and Ash makes it my job much easier as well because they're both good ball players. What's your favourite position now, if you kind of look in long term? Favourite position? I don't mind sitting with someone else or being one of the three ahead. I like to play more advanced and 
bomb on and try and provide goals for other people and get a few goals myself. You got sent off in the uh, Hampton and Richmond Borough game. Yeah. And like, I'm not being rude, but you didn't have a great game. No, nah, one of my worst games, to be fair. Well, did you take? Have you taken a lot out of that? Uh, you know, in terms, have you learned much from it? Yeah, I've learned a lot. That like, just even if I'm having a start, even if I'm starting off bad, just keep my head held high and keep getting on the ball and try and help other players to help me like get through the game. It's been helpful working with Ashley Karu. Yeah, yeah, because Ash, no matter what, no matter how bad he plays, he will always get on the ball. Sometimes players will, will have like one of their bad games and they want to try and let other people shine ahead of them. But Ash is a sort of player that will always want to get on the ball. No matter how bad he's playing, he's just a confident player. Yeah, he takes the ball by the horns, doesn't he? Yeah. He doesn't shy away. How long have you been at Dulwich now? I came to Dulwich when I was 15, when I was in school. Started playing with the youth team from then. I think I played my first first team game when I was either 16 or 17, but that was just a friendly. And when I went to a second year, into my second year of being a youth team player, that's when I started playing like three more games. Then as soon as I come out of youth team, I was in the squad straight away. How old are you now? I'm 20 now. Working with Gavin Jr. and Kevin, what's that like? What's the kind of day-to-day? Well, working with them, it's, I'm guaranteed I'm going to learn something new, either every game or every training session. Like, working with them, you can see... I, I, could, I learned so much more. Like, I've seen other players come from, like, pro teams that, and came come here, and they don't, their knowledge ain't as advanced as some of us younger ones that's been at Dulwich for the past three or four years. So in terms of learning, it's brilliant because they try and work on each player individually and help them understand their roles and their jobs. So talking about young players coming through, Sean's come in recently and yeah. he's not let out of place at all. It must be encouraging for him and you lot as well. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That for Coming through the youth team, there's always someone that's going to be possible. Like Sean's playing well, he's still learning, he could be so much better. But yeah, he's, he's doing well for himself. He's doing well. Jack Bagnell of the Sporters Trust told me a really nice anecdote about Kishoni Samuels. A few years ago, when fans used to be able to rent the pitch at Champion Hill to play on, they turned up a little early, and the first team was still finishing off a training session. Kishoni came over and said, do you guys mind if we just finish off? Of course, the fans duly obliged. After the team had finished and were coming off, Kishoni turned around and said, wait a minute, surely you guys need a ref? And he stayed 90 minutes extra after his training had finished to ref the game and encourage the supporters on, making comments like, you should be in the first team with a shot like that. I think he's a credit to the club, to the Aspire Academy, and it was a pleasure to interview him. There was also a 1-0 victory against Thamesmead Town. I've got a text here from Ben Sibley from half-time. Nil-nil, even game, Thamesmead maybe shading it, missing Ash and Zav, Sean running the channels but service is poor, Tom's just got burger in his beard. And then three minutes after half-time, ball just dropped in six-yard box and sent about half-volley slash sliced it over his own head, over the keeper, and it dropped into the back of the net. Hilarious. That fortuitous win was followed by defeat at home against Bognor Regis Town. The game was free for students and 
I think it's fair to say they were the only people who got value for money. The sun was in my eyes for most of the game and the football was so bad at points I considered staring directly at it. Here's Paul Ansorge, who was attending Dulwich for the first time, and regular Jason Cobb. Welcome to the show, Paul Ansorge from the Planet's Favourite Manchester United podcast. Welcome to the Planet's Favourite Dulwich Hamlet podcast. It's a pleasure to be here. You're less likely to get sued by trade descriptions for that description of your podcast than we are. You're down to number two, aren't you? It's the Look, exclusive. I don't, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> what did you think of the game yesterday? I mean, I had a really good time. So I'm 37 and yesterday was the first time I've ever been to a football match with my dad. So it was like quite special just for that reason. And we met, that was lovely. And then I met Andy and so that was all good. The, the football, I mean... You know, I'm a Manchester United fan, which obviously makes me a terrible person. I'm aware, I'm aware that, that is the way it is. But I've been to the last three home games and the football's really good. Like some of the best football I've ever seen in my life. So I had reset my expectations before coming, but it was pretty... It was Everyone that I talked to afterwards, they all said it was a pretty poor game. Yeah, it was more of a kind of Moyes era <laughs> performance. I did think that a couple of times. Like they've, this is a very, they've gone proper four four two here, and they're just hitting it long to the trying to get the lads in behind to run with the ball. But at one point in the first half, they inverted their wingers. I thought that was that was quite fancy, you yeah. know, because the number eleven was playing on the right. Yeah, and no one could moved then, over to the left. Yeah, and they flipped it. Yeah, it's a shame we couldn't have got you down for a better game. One of the worst Dulles performances of, in recent memory, I'm afraid. I, I feel like, I don't know whether that means I'm supposed to come back soon to see another game, or that's it, I'm never allowed to darken the doorstep again. Maybe you should follow Bogner. <laughs> I feel like that would be a real commitment. To, they, they were right, weren't they? they? Yeah, they played quite well, yeah. And a bit of a nasty uh, number three, guy with a ponytail. Get, you know. James Franco. Yeah, yeah, I believe that was his... Uh, yeah. That's the look he was going for. I, I think it might just be James Franco because you can't. You didn't, it, of every sort of major Hollywood celebrity you can think of, he's the most likely to end up playing left back for Bogner Regis. Yeah, he's, you know, I've I've been in films. I've directed a film. Yeah, I've written my book of poetry. Yeah, what's next? Non-league. Bogner Regis. Hello, my name is Jason. Jason Cobb, and I am going to waffle on a bit about the Dulwich against Bogner match, of which Dulwich lost one 0 at home. Now, I am notoriously bad with names. So names of players, uh, names of friends, names of family members. And so what I can't do is tell you who did what, how they did it, why they did it. I'm also pretty poor with tactics and any form of analysis. But hey, I had a really lovely time at the football. And that's surely what matters. So for the Bogner match, I took along with me a Newcastle pal... Didn't take much to raise his spirits. It was his first time watching Dulwich. We went for some pie and mash first. Uh, met Jack McEnroy Sr. along the Walworth Road. That seemed like quite a good promising start. Uh, now, it didn't really last. I'm sorry if this upsets anybody, but I do tend to treat my Dulwich experiences these days a bit like a social club. And so I get to catch up with many, many different friends from many different social settings uh, around South London. Uh, Dulwich has somehow become, become the social glue which holds all of this together. That sounds very arsy. It didn't mean to, but it's true. Um, the football, okay. <laughs> well, against Bognor, I thought Dulwich actually started quite well. The first five minutes or so, uh, they were fairly pacey. Uh, it didn't last 
I then did my usual thing, did my photo walk around the ground, always take photos, try and capture everything. So I didn't pay that much attention to the football, but I could see that Bogner were starting to dominate. And what really did impress me about, about, about the away side was they appeared to be playing the opposite of the usual away tactics. So they, they uh, weren't sitting back and defending and trying to hit Dulwich on the break. They were really going for it. Uh, and they seemed very, very strong. And as the game increased, it seemed that the only really route for Dulwich was to go wide. So we had increasingly many attacks down the left and the right. Balls coming in, deflections, some near misses. Uh, the Bogner keeper played an absolute blinder, but it just wasn't happening. Now, the atmosphere, uh, it was really good to see so many students taking advantage of the free student entry day. What do you know? And uh, it did feel at times a bit like I was back in the SU bar. That's no bad thing. Uh, I, I didn't get myself embedded in, in the, in the uh, rabble. I was too busy doing the social circuit. Um, um, my, my Newcastle fan... He got very excited, and he said it was the best football he's seen since Pardew took over. Alan Pardew, back at Dulwich. Anybody? Nah, thought not. I've assured Paul that it's normally much better than this. You can follow him on Twitter at UTD Rantcast, or listen to his podcast, unitedrant.co.uk. And Jason Cobb is Jason underscore Cobb on Twitter, jasoncobb.co.uk. You might know Joe Kennedy from his on hiatus podcast this is deep play or from behind the goal we met at the peck and pelican for a chat ambient sound provided by bob dylan and my daughter xavier when did you first come to dulwich show well i think this is my fourth season coming now but so i just started going about three years ago and i only started going because the ground was at the end of the road i just moved on so i literally just moved to london i was wanted to go and watch some football came down to dulwich um, with no preconceptions whatsoever apart from a, a sense that they were perhaps once quite a famous team uh, and, and yeah that was about it You're a Darlington fan? Originally yeah um, so in that context I'd have heard of heard of Dulwich because Darlington one of their local rivals would be Bishop Auckland who won the FA Amateur Cup quite a few times and obviously so, so of Dulwich but that was literally all I knew about them apart from that they played uh, somewhere in sort of on the borders of Dulwich and Camberwell but yeah, Darlington fan originally, and um, that's become harder and harder as they've dropped into progressively more regional leagues over the over the last couple of years. And obviously, living in South London, you can't really afford to go up to County Durham every week to, to watch them. Um, and it's it's kind of been refreshing not having to to some extent as well. Yeah, it's one thing having two teams, but having two quite lower lower teams. Yeah, well, I mean, Dulwich were meant to be my. Um, my additional team, if you will, they were going to be the team that, in my mind, I was going to patronise a little bit, and now they actually have reached a level above Darlington. There's the kind of an ongoing kind of anxiety about whether they may or may not draw each other playing the FA Cup one day, but that would actually involve them both getting to the first round, which, given track records, is highly unlikely, I think. So if you started coming four years ago, uh, that's just before the kind of massive influx in a way, isn't it? Yeah, well, well, three years ago, so I started coming at the beginning of the second player final season, so the, the season that they um, that they played Bogner in the playoff. And yeah, I, I think the first game we went to was an FA Cup uh, qualifying game. It's probably 160, 170 there, and that felt normal for the, for the time. 
Um, so it's, it's changed quite a lot over the last few years, as far as I can see. So does that make you a new vote? I don't know. Well, I, I think we know who has. Proto new vote. <laughs> I'm I'm calling it Dinovo actually to try and kind of you know it's Bridge kind of di- dinosaur of a Nuvo. Um, but I know I think we know who has jurisdiction over the meaning of the word word Nuvo. I, I think I am. Yeah. Well, we'll leave it to the panel. The panel of one. <laughs> Your match day experience has changed over the three or four seasons, I imagine. Well, yeah, definitely. I mean, I used to go down on my own and. Um, I actually used to go go down in an attempt to kind of get off thinking about anything at all. I would just stand there with my pint and sort of watch the game and try and learn a, a bit about the players. I didn't go down as a kind of social thing, effectively, and that it, it's um, it's turned quite comprehensively into a social thing now, where you know you're going in, and you're saying hello to 120, 130 people you know on a on a match day. I'm sort of nostalgic occasionally for. Um, for going down and watching on my own completely incognito. So you've seen firsthand uh, the growth in attendance. What what do you put that down to? Well, there are a couple of explanations. Now, one of those is obviously success on the pitch, which I don't think this could happen, have happened without, um, and also success on the pitch in such a you know generally dazzling footballing style. A couple of very attractive players to watch. Um, but beyond that, I think it's to do with uh, with location, isn't it? It's to, it's that this is in a kind of an inner London location where the only, I suppose the only other nearby football team uh, of any standing are Millwall, um, who cost I don't last time I checked about thirty pounds to get into. So if you move to South London from elsewhere and you're like so many new Dulwich fans are, somebody who's used to going and watching lower level football elsewhere, you're not going to go and pay thirty pound to get in at Millwall. So I think that there's that that aspect is people move here and they want to go watch a match and they want to pay a reasonable amount of money to do it. At the same time, you know that kind of it was there was a perfect storm with the success and with a lot of people, very disparate people coming together. And I think there was a a sense among a lot of people that they're experiencing something like real community down there. Whether that was newcomers or maybe you know I'd, I'd like to think some more kind of long-standing fans that do. Uh, Champion Hill was a space in which people from a lot of different backgrounds could actually, who wouldn't necessarily come together in other parts of Dulwich or Camberwell or Peckham, were actually coming together and having a kind of dialogue. Um, you know, it, certainly I think around the promotion season, the beginning of last season, it felt like a very kind of openly social place. You, you, you know, kind of more real. I know cannibal authenticity is a problematic idea, but a kind of authentic social experience in which everybody was kind of dem- democratically engaging with one another, however highfalutin that sounds. Um, and that's attractive, um, I think, and yeah, probably contributes to the exponential rising crowds we've seen. Yeah, I've, I've got a theory myself that the decrease in the number of Three o'clock Saturday kickoffs in the Premier League is beneficial mm. to non-league. I, I don't. I mean, I've not looked into the stats, and it's hard. I don't know if other attendances other than Dulwich Hamlet have gone up. Mm. But you know, you get this kind of idea that it's a terrible thing that we don't have Premier League on a Saturday at three o'clock. But certainly myself, well, if Tottenham are playing, I go watch Tottenham. And there's others say, my, my co-host Hugo may watch Arsenal. Yeah. And you know, Andy Thomas may, who's been on the show, may watch Man United if it was at three o'clock on a Saturday. Yeah, I, I think that that might be one sort of justification for not having all games at three o'clock because with there being such kind of hegemony in terms of 
teams being able to attract supporters, then you know it might be the only way for non-league and lower league teams to survive. I think there has been a rise at some non-league clubs, but I don't know if that's been borne out across non-league as, as a whole. I think that some clubs, if they're in the right kind of geographical circumstances, will profit a lot, whereas others... Um, Whereas I think others are flatlining nowadays. It really depends on where they are in the country, what sort of what sort of access to a supporter base they have. So the record attendance was smashed. You know, well I should say the record attendance for the new stadium last yeah. 25 years, 20 years uh, was smashed the other day. We've seen the attendances rise and rise. Where where do you think it's all going? Where is it going to plateau? Um, yeah, I, I wonder. I wonder to some degree whether or not it already has because. For it to be a social thing, you can only have so many people engaging with each other or else you kind of get overwhelmed. There'll be too many people. Um, and once you get more than, say, a thousand people, you probably get, you know, it sounds a bit brutal to put it in these terms, but it's something like a factionalisation, people standing differently. We've already heard quite a few complaints this season about people singing different songs, different groups to kind of doing their own thing, which is, you know, I mean, and one thing is to be... On one hand, it's to be celebrated. On another hand, it just is reflective of the fact that this many people can't necessarily all engage with each other at the same time. The other thing I, you know, I think I worry about is like with the Hampton game when we had in excess, well, you know, a large number of people in. Um, you realise that some of those people are going to be there in a kind of touristic capacity, like, and, and that sadly, as we've seen in the Premier League, can dilute things to some extent you know if there's people who are going just to see the spectacle of people doing x y and z behind the goal then it sort of uh, <laughs> kind of dilutes the purity of the experience a little bit perhaps um, though I am a natural pessimist so uh, other people feel free to correct me about that I mean do you think it's plateaued or do you, do you think that it's something that grows exponentially. Or... Yeah, it's, it's, it's a funny one, isn't it? Because what I wonder is, all these people that are in their 20s now, mm. are they going to be there when they're in their 30s? Yeah. Uh, you know, are they going to... Okay, Xavier, okay. Are you, you going to be there, Xavier? <laughs> <laughs> well, she's the next wave, isn't she? But, like, say I was... I, um, I, I had a season ticket when I was 17, mm. and then I stopped going when I was 19, and I didn't go for maybe eight years. Well, I'm not, I'm not sure that I'm not a little bit older than you, and I feel too old for, for this sometimes, <laughs> to some extent. I think I, f- I feel too old for going week in, week out. And, and I, I, mean, I just wonder, are we getting... Like, it's great that people are going, and I don't want to kind of... I don't have expectations for people or anything, but are we? Are you getting long-term supporters, or when Gavin Rhodes eventually goes, which mm. will be a sort of a huge day for the club, um, will it drop back down, you know? Um, uh, I, I think it probably will a little bit, uh, although, although for some reason, and this is slightly intuitive, I can't see him. I can't see him disappearing. Oh yeah. Yeah, I, I think that with for a variety of reasons, this is probably the ideal place for him. It allows him to be a project manager as much as a team manager. I think being well, a, yeah, a well, club of this size. Yeah, well, he certainly is that. Yeah, and it, there may, maybe it's not a great deal of point of going up two divisions. Yeah. You know, and. And then you look yeah. at, you know, say something like a kind of championship job, they don't really come up for 
for the they don't really dig as deep as non-league managers. Yeah, do. exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he. he, he but like, I hope for him. I don't know. I just have I have real hopes for him that he manage that he gets the manager at a high level. He appears to have the potential to do so. Well, I, I could see him almost ending up in a kind of director of football role at a higher level rather than as a as a manager manager role. I think you know he's a good manager good manager of the team on the pitch, but I think that he likes that overview, doesn't he? Yeah, um, without doubt. I mean, when you see the young. Uh, the uh, youth team walking around in shoes and ties. Yeah, it's because he's, you know, there was one bit at one of the awards things where a guy was walking around with his coat on. And he sort of snapped his fingers at him, and the kid's taking his coat off in yeah. a hurry. You know. Yeah. He he has a he has a touch of the Brian Clough about him, I think, actually, but which is something I admire in many respects. You can find Joe on Twitter at Joe Kennedy eighty one. And visit thisisdeepplay.tumblr.com and straightoffthebeach.wordpress.com for some of his work. Just enough time left for what's Harry Ottaway eating. This one came in from Dave White of South London publishing house Avery Hill. Ottaway just came in with a big bag of stuff from Sainsbury's. Hard to see what it was. I'd certainly hazard a guess at a bottle of chocolate milk drink. Potentially a bagel but granted this is largely conjecture. It's a banana yazoo, 100%. And a baguette, a baguette, not a bagel. Thank you, Dave. If you're interested in getting involved with Forward the Hamlet, send us an email, forwardthehamlet at gmail.com. Great experience if you want to get into radio, journalism, podcasting, anything like that. Continue to use the Amazon banner on the website. And you can get t-shirts from forwardthehamlet.spreadshirt.co.uk. The Holdfast Network is home to South London Hardcore, Process, The Leftfield Shout and Forward the Hamlet. Visit holdfastnetwork.com or search for Holdfast Network in iTunes.